Well, good morning. It's great to see everybody this morning. And for those of you that are joining us online, thanks for tuning in there as well. If you are a guest with us, we're excited to have you today. If I didn't get a chance to meet you on your way in, my name is Bill. And we really do consider it a privilege to have folks um, join us in our services for the first time every week, because I know it can be kind of intimidating. You're not really sure what to expect when you walk into a new church, but hopefully that video gives a little glimpse into who we are. Really glad that you guys are here today. Is everybody ready for the week this week? We um, actually, I think this afternoon, we will finish our arc, um, and so we're going to be able to survive the week um, as a family, so hopefully you guys are prepared for that as well. It's going to be like the most depressing week ever, so it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. Let me pray for us, and we'll, we'll jump into the message this morning. Father, thanks for who you are and the love that you've extended to us. God, I pray that as we spend a few minutes in your word, that you would encourage us today, recognizing um, what it is that you've called us to and to be a part of, and how you can accomplish that through us. So thanks for the time today, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. As we get started this morning, I want to tell you one of the earliest memories that I have in church. I was blessed to grow up in a Christian family, and so church was a big part of my upbringing. I mean, it's like I was one of those kids who, like, from day one is in church every single Sunday. So I have lots of memories about church, and so I'm going to share one with you today. I've mentioned this before, too. I, I think it's really odd why we remember certain events and, and, and why we don't remember others. If I had a lot of free time, I would do some research to figure out the rationale behind why we remember what seemed to be such random, meaningless events, because the story that I'm going to share with you today is one of those events, at least I think. So I was like four or five years old, and in Sunday school class that morning, we were going over the story where Jesus fed 5,000 people, which is in fact, it's the passage that we're going to look at today in just a minute. And to be honest, I don't remember a lot about the lesson that day. Likely it was a flannel graph story, so some of you might know what that is for those of you that don't. It's just little pieces of paper that are pictures, and they have a little bit of felt on the back of those pictures. You hang them on a felt board to illustrate the story as the teacher is telling it. And so likely there were crowds of people sitting on a hillside, some disciples handing out baskets of food, whatever it was. When the lesson was finished, it was then time for our snack, which was always a really exciting time in Sunday school when we had our snack. And so I, this is the part that I remember very vividly. Like, I don't know why I remember this, but I do. I was sitting at the end of the table in one of those tiny chairs, and there were probably six or eight of us sitting around the table together. And the teacher said, you know, it's really kind of sad this morning that all we have for a snack is two goldfish crackers. But she said, don't worry, because we're going to pray and ask God to bless the food, and maybe he will multiply it so that everyone is able to get something to eat. And I promise you this was the case. As a four-year-old, I thought to myself, that ain't going to happen. God doesn't care about our goldfish. Like, I already know you've got some stash somewhere, and when we're not looking, you're going to switch them out. Like, I may not know how you're going to do it, but I'll tell you what. Like, I'm going to be watching, and I'm going to figure this thing out. So the teacher then asked us to bow our heads and close our eyes. 
so that we could pray. Because after all, that's the way prayer works. Everyone knows God can't do anything if you're looking while you pray. And so that's what we had to do. Now, I was really smart, though. So I kind of bowed my head ever so slightly, folded my hands, and put them in front of my eyes so that I could see between the cracks in my fingers. Because again, I'm thinking, listen, I'm going to figure out what you're doing. But then I started to think, well, wait a minute. Like, what if something can happen? Like, I don't really want to mess this thing up for everybody else, right? Like, I want to snack too, so maybe I should close my eyes. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to close my eyes for just a second. And I was like, but look, come on, this is not going to happen, so I need to see what's happening. So I kind of peek through my fingers again, and then I think to myself, gosh, I really don't want to mess this up. I don't want to be the one to mess this up for everybody, so I close my eyes again. And I decided, at least at that moment, to kind of keep them closed for a while. A few seconds later, the prayer was finished, and so we were, as we opened our eyes, there in the middle of the table was a large basket full of goldfish. And the first thought was I, that I had was, I don't know how you did it, but that was pretty slick. Now, I tell you that story for two different reasons. Number one, if you work in our kids' ministry, if you're a kids' ministry volunteer, or if you ever work in kids' ministry as a volunteer, please do not fake miracles. It is not a good idea. So if you ever, you get in our curriculum, you ever come across, they're like, hey, just fake a miracle this morning. Please don't do it and then tell me about it so we can get new curriculum because it's not really good, okay? But the second reason that I tell you that story is this. I don't believe that that's what the story of the feeding of the 5,000 is even about. The more that I understand what Jesus was doing that day, the more that I come to believe that it wasn't about multiplying the bread and the fish to feed people. Now, that's what happened in the story. But the point is not what Jesus is going to do for me. Now, it's easy to get stuck thinking that, though, because we hear things like that all the time. You can't outgive God. Invest a little, and he will return that investment to you tenfold. So just give a little, and God's going to give a lot. But that's not the point of the story. It's not about what God is going to do for us. Now, does God promise to meet our needs? Absolutely. So I don't want you to misunderstand that. But the point of the story of the feeding of the 5,000 is not what God wants to do for us, but what God wants to do through us as we recognize that Jesus is more than enough. A couple of years ago as a church, and we worked on this as a staff for a while, we came up with what we refer to as our identity statement. And so if you've been around our church for a while, hopefully you've heard it multiple times. Hopefully you pay attention to it as you walk into the doors because it's on the wall opposite the main doors as you come in. Shows up on that video that we've been playing for several weeks in a row now. Our identity statement as a church is that we are a courageous, bridge-building, mission-driven church where it's not about us. And each of the phrases in that statement have been chosen very intentionally because we believe that it describes who God has uniquely called us to be as a church. But it's the last phrase in that that I want to draw your attention to. It's not about us. See, the reason that when we say it's not about us, what we mean is it's not about making a name for ourselves individually. None of us should be about that. It's not even really uh, about making a, a name for ourselves corporately. 
Now, do we want to make a difference in our community? Absolutely. We want to have a significant impact in our community, but we'd love to live by the mantra, fingerprints everywhere, name nowhere. The reason? Because it's not about us. We cannot do what we have been called to do, but Jesus is more than enough. Like, we can't accomplish what we feel like God has called us to do in this community on our own, but Jesus is more than enough. And that's the point of the story of the feeding of the 5,000. So I'm going to show you why this morning as we look at Luke chapter 9, verses 10 through 17. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn there. Luke chapter 9, verses 10 through 17. I'll read it here in just a second. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, it will be on the screen as I read it. Or if you are a version Bible app user, you can navigate uh, to our live event. So down at the bottom, there's the more button. So you click that more button. And then um, halfway down the menu on the next page, you'll see events and you'll be able to find our live event. There's lots of helpful things um, in that live event. But let me read Luke's account of what we refer to as the story of the feeding of the 5,000. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him. And he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away. And the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions. For we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we're to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so. And they had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was, what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. Again, I want you to know, I believe that this story is not about what Jesus wants to do for us but what Jesus wants to do through us. And so I want to explain why that's the case. As Jesus had, what we find that just prior to this event of the feeding of the 5,000 is that Jesus had sent out the disciples on their first solo mission apart from him. And so he sent them out into the towns and villages in the region, and he gave them the power to cast out demons and heal people, and he told them, proclaim the good news of the kingdom. And so they went and did what Jesus told them to do, and then they came back. And as they came back, Jesus then led the disciples out kind of into the wilderness in the region of the city of Bethsaida. They were, what they were going to do was debrief on what had happened. They were going to talk about their experiences together. But what we find is that the crowd found out where Jesus and the disciples were going, and they followed too. And in fact, it was a large crowd that was there. Luke says that there were 5,000 men in attendance. And so by the time that you calculate potentially how many women and children were also there, it was a crowd that numbered probably around 15,000 people. And as Jesus did, certainly at this time in his ministry, he began to minister to the people. And so he taught the people about the kingdom of God. He healed those who had needs. And it took a long time. 
many hours. In fact, it took most of the day. And so by the end of the day, the disciples are, they've been hanging out this whole time as well. And so they're beginning to have conversations with one another saying like, hey, somebody's got to go to Jesus and, and ask him like, what are we doing for dinner? Because I'm hungry. And I'm sure everybody else is hungry too. And so it doesn't say here in Luke's gospel who the spokesperson was. In John's gospel, we read that there was Philip and Andrew both had some interactions with Jesus around this. What we read here is that the disciples just went to Jesus and said, hey, you've got to dismiss these people because we're out in the middle of nowhere and they need to find something to eat. And that's when Jesus said this, you give them something to eat. And in that moment, Jesus asked the disciples to do something that they could not do. What we read here in, in Luke's gospel, it, it, it's pretty clear that they had already canvassed the crowd a little bit. They'd roughly counted the number, realizing that there were at least 5,000 men who were there. They'd gone around and recognized that nobody had actually planned to be there all day because nobody had any food to eat. And they had found one little boy who had five loaves of bread and two fish. And they said, well, what is this among all of these people? And so they went to Jesus and said, look, Jesus, there's no way that we could ever buy food for all these people. We don't have near the resources to feed the people. You've got to tell them to go. But Jesus said, you give them something to eat. The reason that I am convinced that this story is not about what Jesus wants to do for us, but what Jesus wants to do through us is because of that phrase. Jesus told the disciples, you give them something to eat. And he was asking them to do something that they could not do with resources that they did not have, but Jesus was more than enough. And so Jesus instructed the disciples, have the people sit down in groups of 50. And then he prayed and blessed the food and began to break it, and he passed it to the disciples, and then the disciples then passed it out to the crowd. And I don't know how it happened. I am not sure that they, the disciples knew how it happened, but as they passed out the food to the people, they never ran out. And in fact, they had 12 baskets full of leftovers when they were done, and it said everyone was satisfied, meaning that everyone was full, not just that everyone had a bite or that everyone got a crumb. That wasn't it at all, but everyone was completely full and satisfied with those 12 baskets left over. What's the significance of the 12 baskets? There was one for each disciple. Jesus was saying to them, I am more than enough for what I'm getting ready to call you to do. Because the significance of the lesson that day wasn't so much on what happened with the feeding of the 5,000, but it was the lesson that they would then apply to what Jesus was getting ready to call them to do. Because Jesus was going to call them to do something that on their own they could not do, but they had to understand that with Jesus, he was more than enough. Because Jesus was preparing them for something. Very soon, Jesus would tell his disciples to go into the world and make disciples. He would tell them that, he, said, he would say to them, you will be my witnesses to the very end of the earth. And this group of disciples that Jesus had gathered together, they did not have the ability to put together a strategy to reach the world. But Jesus was more than enough. I mentioned before that just prior to this event, Jesus had sent the disciples out on their first mission endeavor. 
And he had done so, and he sent them to towns and villages in Israel. And so understand the significance of what he was asking them to do. They were likely going to places that they were at least somewhat familiar with, among people from the same culture that they had, speaking the same language that they did. So they would be familiar with what was happening culturally. It was a place that they were comfortable But very soon, Jesus was going to call them to go outside of their comfort zone to places, uh, to foreign countries and cities where people spoke a different language and came from a different culture. And this group of disciples, who was relatively uneducated, they didn't know how to reach those people, but Jesus was more than enough. And he called the disciples to take the gospel to the world. And what's crazy is that they were successful in doing it. This ragtag group that Jesus had assembled was successful in taking the gospel to the world in one generation. How were they able to do it? It wasn't because all of a sudden they got really smart and figured things out. It was because Jesus was more than enough. You see, the point of this entire story, it's not about what Jesus wants to do for us but what Jesus wants to do through us as we recognize that he is more than enough. We see it in the lives of the disciples. And it's something that we see throughout the history of the church. We could tell story after story after story of people who set out to do what they felt like God was calling them to do. And we look at the circumstances of their lives and say, how were they successful in doing that? And I don't know that we could ever come up with a reason other than Jesus, was more than enough. In the 1800s, George Mueller lived in England at a time where in the city of London they had a significant problem with orphans on the streets. And so George Mueller was moved by God to try and do something about the problem that he saw, and so he began welcoming children into his home. Later he built orphanages and began educating these children In fact, he was often criticized for the level of education that he gave to them. People were saying, you're educating them beyond their station in life, meaning their education is too good and they're not going to remain poor forever anymore. How was it that George Mueller was able to minister and serve over 10,000 children during his lifetime while never once going into debt and never once specifically asking people for money? I don't know that we could say that he was successful for any other reason other than to say that Jesus was more than enough. How is it that Billy Graham, who grew up on a dairy farm, could become the most influential pastor in America in the last hundred years, known as a pastor to the presidents? How was it that he could have tens of thousands of people come to faith in his ministry I don't know that we can look at any other reason other than to say he was doing what God called him to do and Jesus was more than enough. And so we see that in the story of the feeding of the 5,000, what Jesus was going to do through the disciples. We see it throughout the history of the church and story after story. And the same thing is true today. Jesus is still more than enough for what he's called us to do. I think about the history of our church. Many of you are relatively new to the church, and so maybe you don't know the history, but it was about 20 years ago at this point that a small church of about 100 people recognized that this community was about to begin to grow and that they needed to find a more visible location than the one that took 13 rights and 14 lefts to get to down on the bank of Eagle Mountain Lake in Lake Country. And God provided this land. 
And they began to dream about this property being filled with people whose lives were being changed by Jesus. It was a long and bumpy road with many twists and turns along the way, but we are here living out that legacy today. The only reason is because Jesus is more than enough. How is it that six years ago, two churches of similar size merged together to create what we know today as the Table Community Church? I mean, when we made as many mistakes as we did in the process, you expect things to implode. How did we get here today? The only thing that I can say is Jesus is more than enough. And as we look forward to see what God wants to do through us, we may not have all of the answers and all of the the ways figured out, but listen, if we're doing what God has called us to do, we know that Jesus is more than enough. Our mission as a church is to see people's lives changed as they enter into a life-changing relationship with Jesus, to see lives transformed as they enter into a life-changing relationship with Jesus. It's really our fancy way of saying our mission is to make disciples, doing exactly what Jesus called his first disciples to do. And that mission, it's not just a mission for the church corporately. It's not a mission for the professionals. It's really easy to kind of think that that's the case. But the reality is for those of us who are followers of Christ, this is our mission because that's what it means to be a disciple. A disciple is one who has faith in Jesus, we've trusted Jesus as our Savior, whose life is being shaped by Jesus, and we're becoming more like Jesus as we live our lives. And then the third thing, it's really important, we can't miss this, we are supposed to be helping others to follow Jesus too. That's the mission that he's given to us. And you might have heard me say this, I've talked about it a few times over the last year or so, there are three spheres of influence that we have, at least three primary spheres of influence that we have. And these are places where we, can, we have the opportunity to make disciples. It's in our homes, in the church, and in our community. So first, in our homes, we're to be disciple makers in our homes. And for those of us who have kids at home, right, it's, it's that primary investment in our kids. If you're a single or an empty nester, you can broaden that out a little bit. And maybe it's with adult kids or maybe it's with adult parents or with siblings or nieces and nephews. The second area, the sphere of influence that we have is here in the church. We want to be taking what we have and invest it here to make a difference in the lives of people as we gather together here And the third one is in your community. And that's a little bit of a choose-your-own-adventure because it's the place where you spend the majority of your time. For a lot of people, that's going to be at work. And so you have the opportunity to make disciples in the place where you work. Maybe it's literally your neighborhood. Maybe that's your community or potentially the place that you spend a vast majority of your time is with parents of other kids on your child's baseball team or soccer team or whatever it is. But those are the places, the opportunities that God has given to us, and we are called to make disciples in those places. And I know as I say that, some of you are thinking, I don't think I can do that. I'm not qualified to do that. I don't know enough to do that. But listen, let me ask you a question. Do you believe that Jesus is more than enough for you? How is it that parents who have made plenty of mistakes throughout their life, can be a disciple maker for their children. It's because Jesus is more than enough. How do you go about being a disciple maker as an adult child to adult parents? Listen, I may not know exactly how to do that, but Jesus is more than enough. 
How is it that you can be a disciple maker in our church through serving in kids ministry or student ministry when you're not really sure where all the books of the Bible are found and not sure where all the stories are found? You can't make heads or tails out of uh, some of those things sometimes. Listen, do you believe that Jesus is more than enough? How is it that you can be a disciple maker in your community if you've never had a spiritual conversation with another person before? I don't know, but do you believe that Jesus is more than enough for what he's called you to do? Now, I want you to understand what that means. That doesn't mean that you don't seek to learn as much as you can, to grow as much as you can. You do that, but what you realize is that I'm not going to let those excuses hold me back. That it's not about learning all of the right answers or have everything together before I start because I believe that Jesus is more than enough for what he's called me to do. See, the purpose of the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, it wasn't about what happened to the crowd, though they were blessed as a result of the miracle. I'll be honest, I'm not even sure they knew what happened that day. They knew Jesus did something and they got something to eat, but it was the disciples who had the inside scoop. The purpose of that miracle was to teach the disciples a lesson. They needed to understand that Jesus was more than enough for what he called them to do. The reason that they were successful in taking the gospel to the world was because Jesus was more than enough. We see the same thing throughout the history of the church. Why would we think anything different today? I want you to know, Jesus has called you to point people back to him so that their lives can be changed and in that process, the reason that you will be successful is because Jesus is more than enough. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, you have called us, those of us who have placed our faith and trust in Jesus, you have called us to be disciple makers. And Father, we could come up with all kinds of different excuses that would hold us back. But I pray that today, through what we've learned from your word, that we would believe that you are more than enough to do what you've called us to do. On our own, we can't do it. But it's with you, with your help, with the resources that you provide, God, we can be successful at what you've called us to do because Jesus is more than enough. And I pray, Father, throughout this week, as we go into that community, help us to remember that. And then, God, give us the courage to step into those conversations as we find somebody who's struggling, maybe we would say, hey, do you mind if I pray for you? As we see somebody who's hurting, maybe we can bring goodness into their lives, bring a little bit of your kingdom into this world. Help us to remember that you are more than enough for what you've called us to. And it's in the name of our Savior Jesus that we pray. Amen.